Hey guys, I'm Tyler Hosley, and this week I learned that I seem to only like movies that people truly hate, and that is how I roll. I'm Dave Gray, and this week I learned it doesn't matter how many times you kidnap kids and remove their eyes and replace them with buttons, uh, when you're a six-foot-tall bearded man, they'll never call you the other mother, Not not without giggling. I'm Kevin Matthews, and this week I learned that um, if people are chanting Evil Dies Tonight, you can probably add about four years onto that time scale. And this is Raiders of the Podcast. Yay! I've been trying to track cram, um, you know, all the horror goodness this month, and like Tyler... I saw Halloween Ends. I can't recall if you've seen it yet, Dave. Yes. All right. So Tyler will get his chance to give his love for Halloween Ends, <laughs> but I really didn't like it. And I can understand people saying that they enjoyed the choices it made and what it did that was different. For a Halloween movie, which was what nothing. I, what I would say is, it doesn't it doesn't commit to any of those choices. It it's always got an eye on having to add some stuff that they think the fans will want or will please everyone, and they end up, in my view, kind of pleasing no one. It's a really good start. I like the opening sort of five to ten minutes, and as silly as it sounds, I actually really like the opening titles. Um, but it went downhill really quickly from there, and there was just too much wrong with it. I'm sad that David Gordon Green is going to be then given the reins to Exorcist and Hellraiser and Hellraiser. That's that does not instill me with optimism and joy. Um, but yeah, you'll hear more on that shortly when Tyler gives his love. I saw All Hallows Eve 2, which is the uh, sequel to the anthology horror that introduced the world to Art the Clown. Well, I think Art the Clown might have been in the short and then the, that was expanded for All Hallows Eve and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, All Hallows Eve 2 is actually just about as good as the first one. It's different people. It has, I can't recall if it was five or six tales. And none of them were really outright stinkers. That was the sort of big positive. Because you watch an anthology, there's normally at least one where you're like, right, I'll get through this one and hopefully the next one's a lot better. Nothing in All Hallows Eve 2 is necessarily great. 
but nothing was that bad that I was just, you know, watching the minutes tick by, waiting to see if the next story would save it. So I, I did quite enjoy that one, much to my surprise. Uh, Books of Blood, the third or fourth attempt to get Clive Barker's Books of Blood tale into film form, I think. I quite enjoyed it, mainly because of the, uh, I, I like where things go for the finale and how the tales intersect. But I also just rue the fact that nobody has sat down and thought of a way to plan out an anthology TV series based around the Books of Blood. That would surely be the way to go. And hopefully do them some justice. Because there's still so many great tales there to be mined. Um, I, I can't remember, it might have been Tales from the Dark Side that did a version of the Yattering and Jack years ago. Or maybe it was just some other random show. Uh, I've never seen it, but I like the fact that someone filmed a version of the Yattering and Jack. And oh, I've already lost track of what else I've watched, actually. Um, I spent some time listening to a podcast that was recorded last week where I would have given my vote to the women, Tyler, just to cheer you up. Nice. I knew you would. I knew you would. <laughs> Uh, that's so. That's that's me. That's certainly all the horror content. Um, oh, I also watched Dark Glasses. Actually, the Dario Argento movie. It's massively disappointing. I don't understand how anyone would claim that as a return to form. And very recently, I watched VHS '99, which has landed on Shudder, and that was really quite enjoy enjoyable. I like the fact that the VHS series has climbed up a bit after the. Uh, third one, I think, was the one that I liked the least. Was that the one with the tale about the magician's cloak? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I think that was my least favourite, but then they've, they've picked up since then, and you know, people who have Shudder will be able to check it out, and uh, once again, they can be a little bit uneven through the year but I think Shudder tend to sit on stuff to release in October because they know quite rightly that's our horror Christmas good times to be had there and that's me um I okay non horror I watched American movie which it's been forever since I saw it and you know uh, last week one of the guys featured in it Mike Schenk passed away so i decided to give that a rewatch it's it's an interesting little documentary about you know chasing your your dream despite uh, probably not being the right call while being an alcoholic um you know it's it's one of those documentaries that like i've watched a bunch over the years it's it's been a long time though i i used to love it i still i still think it's interesting i uh, i don't love it anymore but you know, it's around. It's worth a look if you haven't seen it. I watch Coraline on the big screen. Coraline's adorable. I watch the Adams Family movies. They're wonderful. 
the live actions, the, the cast is just amazing in those. I watched Halloween Ends, and um, I liked it better when it was called Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. I I don't quite get like I I'm not I'm not saying folks shouldn't love it or you're you're wrong for loving it. I just I just don't get where folks are coming from pretending it did anything new or interesting. It didn't. The whole series is about trauma in different ways. Just because it's a little bit less subtle and way more in your face with everything doesn't make it work better for me. I'm I'm with Kevin. Uh, David Gordon Green shouldn't be allowed anywhere near Hellraiser or The Exorcist. And I'm kind of dreading those more than anything else because I know I'm going to watch them. Because I am a glutton for punishment. And besides that, I've I've been uh, working on the great work. The great work. So I can't really talk much about that. Still. Sorry, there's going to be a lot of vague bits like that and I'm really sorry. So, the great work is coming. Okay, so I'm going to get kind of spoilery with my gushing of Halloween ends here. So if you don't want to know any plot points at all, just skip this segment. My segment. Just just skip it. Um, but uh, but yes, I loved Halloween ends a lot. I love the romance first act with Alice and Corey. I love their little motorcycle rides and their dates under neon lit radio station signs. I loved... The Corey Michael team up where it essentially turns into a revenge movie version of Christine with old man Michael Myers. I just, I, I love that. I love their team up. Um, I love the ending and I love how they wrapped it up. I mean, I know I'm in the minority with this movie and I can understand why because it is essentially Corey's movie. I mean, not essentially, it is. I mean, Michael Myers has what, maybe 10 minutes of screen time, if that. So, uh, I can see why folks wouldn't dig it. I mean, I, Halloween is my favorite franchise ever, and I, I love the approach that David Gordon Green took with this movie. Just, I adore it. Um, I love his entire trilogy, but this is by far my favorite of this little trilogy. I adore it. I think it's great. Um, besides that, though, I haven't really been watching that much, to be honest with you. I, uh, I watched the new Paranormal Activity movie, which was, it was, it was, it was okay. I, I'm not the go-to guy for paranormal movies. I think they're okay. I liked the first Paranormal Activity just fine when it came out. I haven't rewatched it since. I don't think that movie has very much rewatch value. But, uh, the new one was fine. It was acceptable. It was better than the Paranormal Activity in the Hood version, which was just terrible. So, uh, yeah, that's me. When you say new one, is that the one from like a year or two ago? Is it Next of Kin? Yeah, next up, can actually just came out on DVD here not that long ago. All right. I, I own the rest. It, I own the rest. So I just bought it. But um, yeah, next of can it was it was okay. It was better than the last one. I will say. I that. was just paranoid in case I missed one because yeah, I saw that next of can. Yeah, I mean, sorry again. It's really difficult for you know they take it kind of out of a house, so there are going to be moments where you're like just stop filming and run. It, it 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 essentially doesn't even feel like a paranormal activity movie. Like it almost feels like a spec script called Next of Kin that they threw paranormal activity on 
because yeah. it, it didn't really feel like a paranormal activity movie. So, I mean, at least the fourth or whatever, what was it, the fourth dimension? What the hell was that last one called before this? The next dimension? I don't uh, remember what it was called. Was it just the, was it the ghost dimension? The ghost dimension, yeah. That one was atrocious, but at least it felt like a paranormal activity movie. But this was an okay supernatural horror movie. It just wasn't great. But, um, yeah, that's me. This week, we watched Dario Argento's Inferno, uh, Satoshi Kon's Perfect Blue, hold on, it, it needs to reload, uh, Rodman Flinders' Idle Hands, I love that name, and I said it right, it's the only name I pronounced right so far if you've been paying attention. And Liam Gavin's A Dark Song. Tragically, uh, Craig isn't here to kick while he's down. So, uh, I'm gonna, Kevin? Yes. You wanna pick a movie and tell us about it? Uh, sure, yeah. I'll actually start with, uh, Perfect Blue then. I will be brave because I'm going to attempt to describe it. And yet, even while watching the film, my brain starts to seep out of my nose and then I get myself confused and then I catch up again with the cool visuals and I get back into it and I get confused again. And basically, Perfect Blue is yet another awesome, mind-bending bit of animation. There's a a term for that. It's called (laughs) conitis. Yeah. And it's... It's not really that complicated. It's just that it does take these twists and turns in a way that's in line with many a Giallo film. Um, you know, it's really enjoyably an, basically an animated Giallo. Um, so there is a pop starlet who wants to break away from the small girl band that she's in and start an acting career. That acting career will put her in positions that could see her reputation besmirched and may affect how any fan base sees her. So she has concerns about that. And the show that she's involved with is um, quite... So it does aspects of violence and sexual violence and it is a show isn't it it's not a film if i remember right yeah it's a a tv series yeah uh meanwhile she finds online a website that's claiming to sort of be (sighs) relating her thoughts so she starts to have uh numerous moments of identity crisis there is someone possibly playing mind games with her and there are deaths occurring. That's about all the detail I'm going into because I don't think I've tripped myself up much there. So, I mean, I'd seen Perfect Blue before. It's another one that I've given 10 out of 10 to. It's it's just awesome. (laughs) That is... The real dumbest way I can just explain it and give a full critique. Uh, Perfect Blue is awesome. 
the animation is lovely. The obviously the slasher movie framework is I mean it's it's well used throughout, but it's also exploring some really interesting themes, particularly from the little I know of uh, Japanese culture and the you know, there are a lot of young girls who try and have a moment for a few years where they're either a pop starlet individually or in a band and it's just it's this thing that a lot of the young girls aspire to and they know that they have to really make hay while the sun shines and their shelf life could be two or three years uh, you know, I don't know what the next stage in any career path is after, but I did see a documentary on this kind of thing a few years ago. It was fascinating and a bit icky and odd, you know. Uh, so that helps me really feel how interesting and, and fully realise the context of Perfect Blue is there. Then you have the psychological thriller aspect and the the set pieces of the murders that are just you know they hold up brilliantly if if they were live action they would be part of a top tier uh, you know, thriller horror movie in this vein uh, brilliant it's as far as i'm aware i think it's based on a novel dave will be unsurprised to know that i haven't read the novel or i don't know if it's a uh, Maybe a manga, or if it's a full novel, um, I've I've no experience with the source material anyway. But when I watch a Satoshi Kon movie, I think of it as a Satoshi Kon movie, and this means I've seen all of his filmography apart from that TV show. I think it was some one-minute short that he did as part of an anthology and it's available on some as well. I, tr- I tried to remind myself to cram that for homework this week and I've just remembered now, so obviously I didn't do it, which is really annoying. Damn it. Uh, can you remember the name of the TV show he did, Dave? Some, something cop or... Oh, paranoia agent. Yeah, that's it. Um, so yeah, from his, I, I from was his... muted again, but I did say paranoia agent. I yeah. I came up with that. That was in Kevin's memory working for once. <laughs> I heard you. Uh, from his from the sort of directorial work. Uh, yeah, I I've almost seen everything, and man, there's there's nothing that's uh, not worth your time and I would say a good two or three of them are either perfect or near perfect movies I think I put Perfect Blue on the same level as Paprika uh, just below that Tokyo Godfathers and the weakest of his features uh, so far but still a good film is Millennium Actress for me so yeah thanks Dave really nice to revisit Perfect Blue um, I wish I had a, a sort of top drawer shiny disc release of it, but unfortunately I don't. Has uh, Satoshi Kon been treated well in shiny disc form? 
there's I think there's one of uh Perfect Blue uh and one of Millennium Actress. I don't remember if there's one of Paprika. Uh Paranoid Agent doesn't have one and I don't think Tokyo Godfathers has one. Off I mean offhand, I could be wrong. Depend on the rights, you think it'd be the kind of kind of thing that would just make for a perfect, gorgeous box set. Just give us the goods. Anyway, that's me. So I had not seen this before, uh, but holy shit, this was some truly fantastic stuff. I mean, before I even start this review, did Darren Aronofsky, like, base his entire filmmaking career around this movie? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he denies it, but yeah. I mean, he even... he remakes a scene in um oh which one is it uh i think it's black Wrecking swan. for a dream oh wrecking for a dream I, I saw a lot of black swan in this movie too there, there is, like a he lot de- he denies that one despite it being you know pretty much identical yeah i was gonna say a, a direct rip i mean i don't get me wrong i love darren aronofsky i love his stuff but holy shit this was like almost a direct rip just brutal but um but yeah Wow, I uh I've only watched this one time so far, uh, this morning actually, and I feel like I need to watch it another time just to review and fully take in what I watched. Uh it's like part giallo, part bleak, surreal, psychological nightmare. Just I, I hate that I slept on anime for so long because I was truly missing out on some great fucking movies, but Dave forced me into it and now I fucking love it. So uh thanks for that, Dave. Um the animation is fucking gorgeous. I mean, it is just amazing. And it's fucking unrelenting how disorienting and brutal this movie actually is. I mean, the transitions are fantastic. It's structured amazingly well. It looks great. It tackles so many different topics like objectification and obsession and stalking. And it just, I love how it gets darker and crazier as it goes on. It's just, it's amazing. Um, and it's crazy how well the themes play today because this was made in what 1997 it was made and these themes are still prevalent today it's just it's shocking and it's great but yeah i like i said i need to watch this one more time to formulate a really well thought out review but first initial thought i thought this was fantastic so yeah thanks dave i this was great yeah, well, there's a book. The book is called um, Perfect Blue, Complete Metamorphosis, and it's, I think it's technically a light novel, which is basically like a novella from Japan. It's, it's a thing there. We don't really have a... Anyway, uh, it's by um, Yoshi's... Yoshikazu Takuchi, who wrote um, some Ultraman stuff. And uh, that's all I know offhand. There's another, there's actually a companion Perfect Blue book that he wrote that I've never read. I don't know if it was released called um, Awaken from a Dream. I don't know how that goes. But Perfect Blue, Satoshi Kon's film, is, well, like they both said, it's it's excellent. Um, there, was, there was a seal book of most of his stuff released last year from... Uh, G, GK Kids, GD Kids, GK Kids, the folks that, that do uh, a lot of anime releases now. And they, they usually do solid disc releases. 
I need to upgrade them. So <laughs> I watched this one streaming on Shutter. It's excellent. The way they approach the breakdown and the manipulation. And like Tyler said, it does touch on a lot of things that modern movies and uh, is still uh, social issues. There's a lot of scenes in this that are, there's slight variations on stuff that, that Tyler's made us watch recently. What was the movie with the, the porn actress? Totally brain farted on it. Um, uh, pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure uh, has the rough scene and there's there's an analog to it in this. There's a lot of stuff that, that touches on things, still issues in these areas that are, you know, should be discussed and looked at. And Perfect Blue doesn't flinch. That from the very beginning, it's all about perception, and it never leaves that, and it's really well done. The last sequence, the final sequence, the 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 penultimate chase is amazing. I mean, and still, it like watching it, it's spellbinding, and how it weaves perception and reality together in spots is amazing. Ah, uh, you should just watch Perfect Blue. I could talk about it for a long, long time, and a lot of people have much better than I could. But it's one, like all Satoshi Kon, I feel it's best experienced than discussed. I picked it because I wanted to cheat and get the win. Because <laughs> I, I feel, uh, I just, I just, I, I needed that psychological boost this week. I'm sorry. And if oh, they steal it from me, I'm going to cry. Cry, cry. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I picked it because it's a good movie that we were going to watch eventually anyway. And it works really well in October. It's it's a solid psychological thriller with some horror bits. Uh, there's, there's some great kills, some great set pieces. Uh, did you guys watch the dub or the Japanese cast? I watched the dub version. Same. Yeah, okay, I, I watched the Japanese. Both versions are excellent. Both have great voice casts. It's it's probably one of the best, better dubs out there. I mean, dubs are generally good now. Uh, that, that whole, dubs are terrible is, is an old, you don't need to, yeah, that's just mostly folks gatekeeping, don't worry about it. Um, But really, for Perfect Blue, sometimes they're dodgy, but Perfect Blues is excellent, and it was excellent years ago. Um... The, the themes of, of cultural gaze is prevalent. I mean, it, it is an excellent movie that is worth watching. Go watch it. Like I said, it's on Shudder or buy the Steelbook. I'm, I'm sure you can still find that on Amazon. Uh, per, yeah, Perfect Blue is great. I think it's my favorite one of Cones, but I don't know. Paprika touches on a lot of the same things and is incredible. And Millennium Actress is incredible. Unlike Kevin, I think Tokyo Godfathers is the least, not because it's bad, just because it's just another play on Three Godfathers, which is something we've all seen, you know, like a dozen times. It's a good take on the material, but it's still the same material at the end. And Paranoid Agent, or Paranoia Agent, is excellent if you get a chance to check it out. It it goes into a lot of the same things, but we should actually probably do a, a special covering that whole series at some point. But we'll talk about that later. I am going to go with... Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to go with Dark Side. I was going to, but Craig's not here, so I'm going to just hold off on that. 
I'm going to go with Idle Hands. The 1999 uh, horror comedy directed by Rodman Flander, written by Terry Hughes and Ron Milbauer, starring Devin Sawa, Seth Green, Edlin Hinson, Jessica Alba, Vivica A. Fox, and, um, oh, I always forget his name. Uh, Jack, Jack Noseworthy. Yes. Baby Bear. Yeah, it pop is <laughs> pop suddenly. Um, <clears throat> the most idle teen ever. Uh, is, what is his left hand? His left hand is conquered by taken over by the devil, who goes on a killing spree. Uh, but fear not, a demon hunter is on his tail, with his metalhead neighbor across the street. Um. Idle Hands came out in, what, 1999? 1999, and it is very much of 1999, which is uh, both a blessing and a curse. Uh, okay, here's here's the problem with Idle Hands. And here, okay, first, here's what, here's something I like about Idle Hands. I like the tone. That it's, it has fun all the way through. I don't think it's the right jokes. But it doesn't take itself too seriously, which is a terrible, terrible issue in a lot of horror movies now. Even horror comedies tend to take themselves just way too seriously. So it, it never does, which is, is nice and appreciated while watching. Uh, Devin Sawa is excellent at the, at the physical comedy he pulls off in this is great. He, he pulls it off like an old pro. Um, Alba is adorable. Uh, tragically, then then comes my big issue with it. The jokes suck. It's just not funny. It treats every female character like a literal piece of meat to the point where they, they people they know, and they just had, you know, oh, here's a semi-cute scene. They then distill them just down to a sexual object when they're butchered. It's It's not funny. <laughs> it's not cute. It's desperate and kind of nauseating. And even in the 90s, that was pretty icky. It's just like there's some there's some fun references that are really dated now. You wouldn't hear elsewhere. The I guess, you know. The the makeup effects are pretty nice. The cast tries, but it's a terrible script. It is it is a horrific script. And the endings fucks just fucking stupid. To the, to the point that it's just, it's not funny. Instead, the two comic relief characters are atrocious, abusive dickweeds. Who I hate deeply. Like, I don't find them funny. I, I, I want them to stay dead. I want somebody to choke them to death again. Every time they open their fucking mouths. Cause they say something sexist, or homophobic, or vaguely racist, and it's non-stop. They're fucking terrible. And Devin Sawa's character is, as good as Sawa is in the role and doing the physical aspects, like, he doesn't change ever. There's no arc to him. He never grows a personality. He's just a dude that is so busy getting high, he skips school for six months at a time and somehow isn't arrested for truancy when he shows up for a dance. It's just, it's lesser than the, its parts are greater than the whole. There could have been something really fun here. And this is something I'm going to say about another movie later. 
It's got good bones. It's just the meat is rotten and smells bad and is covered in maggots. Like, I understand if you have nostalgia for it because you've been watching it your whole life. I haven't seen this movie since the theater, but from what I recall, I felt about the same then, too. It almost makes it, but it's not quite there, and what is there is obnoxious to an extreme. Well, Dave is clearly watching the film in a mirror. Because it's his right hand, Dave. I mean, unbelievable. Okay, what I'm sorry. He, I, I asked, I double checked. It's been <laughs> date. Like, I remember. Please. Um, I just, I just remember because it's bizarre that he's, he's left handed when he does that gesture about how he can still use his hand for good stuff. <laughs> I looked into Idle Hands online. And I didn't realize that Tyler had already written a review for it on IMDb. Uh, must have been a different username used, but there is a, a sentence here, and I quote, There's a chick in this movie wearing Paul Stanley's kiss makeup that should email me so I can give her my home address. <laughs> when did you write that review, Tyler? <laughs> no, come on. I- uh, yeah, I, I ghost wrote that for sure. <laughs> because Jesus Christ, yes, I did. No, if it was tea, it would be a food analogy. You'd want <laughs> no, to know. She, she needs to email me so I can, I don't know, deep fry her egos. <laughs> I've always liked Idle Hands. I've always thought it was a lot of fun. I've always thought the mix of the horror and the comedy was good enough, especially in the sort of opening. 15 to 20 minutes. It's a great start to things, as ridiculous as it all is. Um, yeah, always happy to watch Idle Hands. I'll always uh, still enjoy it. Dave's not said too much that I completely disagree with, though. The script isn't great. It is more about the, uh, I think, the physical performance from Sawyer and there are some good practical effects gigs. So that is an issue, but the fact that the main character doesn't really change is something I kind of enjoy in this film because this film at least has a stoner kind of being a stoner rather than Remember you had a few films where it was like stoner characters, but they skirted around the idea of anybody actually smoking okay, weed. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. It's not that I need him to change. I just need something from him besides right. I, it, it's just, he's a little too extreme. Mm, right. Um, now I'm sure you'll hate it as well, Dave, but I really enjoyed Dude Where's My Car, but that was one of those films where the, they, they were stoners, but it was like they could never actually just come out and say they were stoners. It was really weird. It was it was an odd time. Anyway, I like the cast here. And before I did read Tyler's review, um, there were there were comments from people saying that they were all, uh, I believe, thinking they were making different kinds of movies. I think Seth Green and Eldon Henson were going for the the strong buddy connection at the middle. Um, somebody was aiming more for the horror 
I think somebody was aiming more for the sort of the high school slacker comedy vibe. So perhaps it shouldn't have really come together at all. But I think it does. A lot of that is down to Sawyer. Um, I just, like, I don't understand how he wasn't bigger for years. Because this movie bombed horribly. I I mean, I think that's really it. This was a huge budget film that tanked. But then Final Destination was just after, I think. But then, I mean, I've never been brave enough to watch, was it Extreme Ops? I know Tyler owns that film. I do. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. Like he's not a, you know. So he, he wasn't an ugly kid. He didn't look sort of overly clean cut and polished. Yeah, I think he had a good look about him. He had a good way, as Dave already said. Like he does really great work here with the, with the physical comedy and the stuff that he has to do. Um, it's for I would say a good three quarters of the film working with the uh, possessed hand style even earlier on where he's just being a complete slacker and exaggerating the laziness is uh, really good stuff it's a, a great committed performance to the comedy of it and it's good and it just reminded me of how much I liked him then and then he seemed to disappear for a while. I mean, he was still doing, you know, whatever work, TV, other movies I hadn't caught. You're forgetting about The Guilty. That was, ugh. Ugh. Yeah, I don't don't know what The Guilty is. Was that a show or a film? No, that was was a uh, Bill Pullman film. That might might be the one that actually tanked his career if it wasn't Idle Hands. (laughs) So what you're saying is a number of bad choices... All came along in a row, and so there, uh, was, there was some steam rolling there. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean that's him. Obviously, he's. Uh, I mean, he's done other things well, but seeing him in the Chucky show has been uh, quite good lately. But yeah, I I have fun with Idle Hands. I like the, I like the way it ends. I like uh, the way all of the cast do play it. I think Jack Noseworthy's pretty funny in a lot of the scenes with Vivica A. Fox. Uh, Sean Whalen is there in a small role. That's that's quite fun. Even the uh, the parents played by Fred Willard and Connie Ray, like, they're very good in their small role. Uh, I think the offspring do a pretty decent cover of I Want to Be Sedated. And uh, yeah, it's it's all fun. I mean, thinking about it more when Dave's pointing out how bad the sort of sidekick guys are throughout the the third act. Certainly, I'm like, yeah, but I still just enjoy the runaway possessed hand aspect of it all that much that it allows me to just forgive everything else. I just love that in the 90s, there's a guy who can make a career out of being the go-to movie hand. Yeah, right? <laughs> Do you think he just goes everywhere with a flourish of his hands and just recognize these digits? I, I don't know, but like, he just had a thing. Uh, I, 
isn't he a hand in Quicksilver Highway also, which is a, a movie or yeah, a TV that, movie? That has another story from the Books of Blood. That's the body politic. Yeah. Where they, uh, I think the hands and feet start detaching themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are. So he's a hand in that. He's a hand in idle hands. I mean, oh, and he's a hand in an episode of Angel. I just looked him up. The only time he's on camera not playing just a hand is an episode of Columbo in 1989 where he's a magician in a cemetery. And because he was in the Adams family, it gets an appearance in the uh, the MC Hammer song video <laughs> as thing again for the Adams family group. I mean, guys, guys, hand has taken him places. Basically, the hand's a star, and he's just hanging on for a career. He had 10 years where every job he was just a hand. That's amazing. Uh, I I had a lot of fun with this, T. I've always had a lot of fun with Idle Hands. Um, yeah, I like I like a lot of the, um, the smaller roles as well and the cameos. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good one. It's one of your most painless viewing choices. <laughs> um. So, uh, so Rodman Flender essentially turned me into the horror fan you're talking to today, guys. Because Leprechaun Two was the very first horror movie I watched as a young child in the '90s. Leprechaun Two and its scene of lawnmower blade titties, which explains so much. Just so much. It really um, does, yeah. <laughs> I love Leprechaun 2, and uh, I love Idle Hands. Uh, this was young Tyler's go-to movie in middle school. I must have watched this bitch like 50 times with my friends growing up. I, I love the cast. Devin Sawa is always good. It's funny. He was in a lot of movies I watched as a kid, like Little Giants and Wild America. Was, I mean, he was he was in all the movies made for you, your age range yeah. in the 90s. It was... You know, Devin Sawa as lead yep. spunky kid number three. Yeah, he was in a Little Giants movie I really liked. Uh, like I said, Wild America was another Casper. He was like adult, not adult Casper, but the human version of Casper in the the movie. Um, but yeah, I love the cast. Seth Green, Eldon Henson, Jessica Alba, Vivica Fox, also good. And they have some great chemistry. Uh, the soundtrack is fucking stacked with my favorite music. I mean, you got a death scene played over Rob Zombie's Dracula, which is fucking amazing. Uh, the Offspring at the Prom, some Static X. The soundtrack is wonderful. Uh, for me, it's genuinely funny. I mean, I've seen this so many times and I still laugh. But as I always say with comedies, comedy subjective, and I totally get that. Um, Sawa rocks the physical comedy so well. Uh, usually, I'm not a slapstick guy. But it's fucking great here. I loved how it's used. Uh, I just, I miss this era of horror so much. Like, I love my bleak, nasty, mean-spirited horror, but we truly don't get horror comedies like this anymore. I mean, like, never. Just movies that aren't afraid to just be fun and never take themselves seriously at all. Uh, it just makes me miss the 90s and early 2000s that much more than I already do. Uh, Idle Hands is a fucking classic. And not to show my hand, too early pun totally intended uh, I, I don't perfect, know boo no perfect blue is the best movie we watched this week but this is my favorite it's it's so much fun so much fun 
Is that me continuing? Okay. Okay, so, you know what? I'm going to save Craig's pick for last. So I'm going to go with Kevin's pick, Inferno. Uh, an American college student in Rome and his sister in New York investigate a series of killings in both locations where their resident addresses are both a domain of two coven of witches. Uh, so Inferno is actually my favorite of the Three Mothers trilogy. I love me some Suspiria, don't get me wrong. And I'm one of the very few who actually really enjoys Mother of Tears, even though that feels more like a Fulci film than it does Argento. Um, Inferno just speaks to me more than the other two films did. I, not going to lie, I'm a style over substance kind of guy. If something looks pretty, I couldn't care less about story most of the time. Just give me pretty visuals over plot any day. And this this movie is gorgeous to look at. It's just absolutely fucking gorgeous. The gels, the atmosphere... I mean, say what you will about Argento as a storyteller, he used to make some pretty-looking movies. I mean, key word there, used to. I forgot I watched Dark Glasses this week, too. That was terrible. Um, I just, I love those lavish operatic sets. The kills are great. Love the score. I really like the lead performances. It's definitely chaotic in its storytelling, which will most likely turn a lot of people off. But like I said, that's, that's just my shit. Uh, Argento doesn't make good movies anymore. Uh, but when Argeno was making these gorgeous, occultish, nightmare, fever dreams, I loved him. And I adore this movie. This might be my favorite Argento film. Like, this and opera are probably my favorites. I can, I can never pick between the two, but this is great. I, I love Inferno. Um, I'm a bit more iffy on it. Uh, I, I agree. I agree. It's a really nice looking movie. There's some great set pieces. Uh, that underwater room is is amazing. I mean, really, the problem is that Argento is just not a storyteller, and this is an hour and 40 minutes. Which, like, maybe if it was 10, 15 minutes shorter, I'd, I'd be kinder to it. I mean, I, I agree, this is the best of the Three Mothers trilogy. Um, Just... The lead guy is awful, and, and like in the way that whenever he's on screen, he just sucks all energy and life out of it. I mean, the dude is just, I, I don't know why he's there. I, I don't even know why he's an actor. He's obvious—he's bored and unhappy, and I'm bored and unhappy having to watch him. But like the, the scene with the sister uh, being chased is, is really good. The, you know, the, the final scenes are, are really nice when it looks when it's a set piece of, of horror stuff it's it's neat i mean argento makes movies the way some italian automakers build cars where there's a lot of passion and it's very pretty and and well you know bits of it are, are immaculately designed and thought out but then it's not like the the engine doesn't work <laughs> The transmission isn't put together properly. So you get like this very artistic and, and deeply loved block that doesn't go like it should without, you know, constant caveats. And, um, that's kind of my problem with it. I just, I kind of wish that there was something beyond just the pretty, pretty visuals. Because, yeah, the the set pieces are really good, the handful of them, but, like, maybe 
the guy should figure out what's going on for just a split second. Maybe <laughs> there should be some reason why these things are happening. Uh, maybe not. I don't, it, it's like idle hands. I don't hate it. I just think there's better there than what we get ultimately. There's a lot of nice bits. It just doesn't come together for me in the end. I mean, I'd watch both again, but I'm, I'm not going to recommend them. I just, like, I wouldn't recommend any Argento movies. No, that's not true. Like the first Suspiria and maybe Cat of Nine Tails and maybe uh, The Card Player. But, like, the dude's been making movies longer than I've been alive. There should be more, right? Uh, it's been a long time since I saw Inferno. So I just felt I was long overdue to revisit. Although, unlike Tyler, I'm not a fan of Mother of Tears. Uh, I like Suspiria. how you said it with an accent. <laughs> In fair or not? <laughs> Sometimes that is just me trying uh, not to sound overly Scottish in a way that people won't understand. Uh, I think Suspiria is a, a classic, uh, a perfect film in the way it's just uh, an audio-visual experience. But I remembered enjoying Inferno and revisiting it now I can see that there's still a lot to love here. But yeah, the storytelling or kind of inability to get the storytelling right really hampers it. I think visually, at times, I, I would say this is visually on a par with Suspiria in terms of the, the colours and the sets and and a framing, it it has some gorgeous moments. But it probably would have worked better if Argento hadn't decided to really try and shoehorn in this twisting investigative plot there. If, again, he'd just gone more for atmosphere over a straightforward narrative. Um, yeah, it, that's that's the biggest issue. The visuals are stunning. The the, the set pieces are a mixed bag because you have you definitely have some that are a lot better than others. But it's it's good stuff. I would I would put this up there uh, with with the better our gentle works but I'd probably put about five movies above it um, like Tyler I'm a big fan of opera uh, I'm also I think I remember being a big fan of Tenebrae and you know a few others the cast are typically of, uh, over the top everything has to be heightened melodrama as soon as anyone even utters one word to them. Uh, so you you have to put up with that delivery. But yeah, it's just all about uh, Argento having moments where he can be full on Argento. I think when that is the case, 
it works well enough for you to overlook all the rest. It's probably like absolutely spot on in terms of the ranking for the trilogy. So Spirit of stays top, then Inferno, then only lunatics would love Mother of Tears more, so that explains Tyler. <laughs> he is a sick man. He's very, very sick. And you sons of bitches have left me with a dark song. Yeah, that was, that was <laughs> we plotted that. Uh, right. Okay, the, uh, the feature debut from writer-director Liam Gavin. A dark song is the story of uh, Sophia, played by Catherine Walker, wanting to enlist the help of a, not a psychic expert, someone who knows rituals. And, a spiritualist would be the proper uh, term. Yeah. Okay, a spiritualist named Joseph Solomon, played by Steve Oram. Steve Oram. Um, that's, that's it. She has an agenda that she's trying to keep hidden from him. He needs a complete truth. She will pay him kind of any amount that he's asked for to get the result she's wanting, but it's a long and arduous process with nothing guaranteed. That's what he tells her. And he is generally quite upfront about that. But a lot of this film really focuses on two people being stuck with one another, codependent on one another in a dysfunctional and abusive relationship in this one house. Because once they begin the ritual that is being planned or the series of rituals, they are not supposed to then go over the threshold, leave the house. It has to take as long as it takes. They have supplies in the house. They have different parts of the ritual that are performed in different ways, whether that is, um, you know, being cleansed, whether it's uh, vomiting, whether it's all these different unpleasant uh, parts of the whole uh, cycle. They go through all that. I liked the dark song. I thought it was an interesting, um, quite, I would say quite a mature uh, take on this kind of thing that we've seen many times played just for the sort of <sighs> jump scares and boo moments of easier entertainment. I think that's the right way I want to put it. So I did really like a lot of what it was doing. But I have heard from many people who love a dark song. And I can't say that I loved it. I, I just liked it. And there's a finale that I liked and then thought was going to give me something more. But it didn't. Maybe that's on me. Maybe there was some stuff I missed. But uh, I I understood what was playing out and just thought there's got to be some other kind of turn of the screw, essentially, or just a button on things at the end, which didn't really 
come about. So, you know, it's all, it's always a shame when something happens at the very end that then means you're slightly perplexed and disappointed as the end credits roll because you were just still expecting that one more moment, that extra beat. So there's a lot here to enjoy, I think. I think Walker and Orm are both very good in the roles. I think the script uses these elements well and it does explore some interesting ideas, uh, particularly Walker's reason for wanting to put herself through this and the hope that this ritual works. And then Orm playing the person who is, you know, a very flawed character and an often a bad person who may be the only one who can get this potentially, in quotes, good deed done for Walker's character. I thought it was good. I thought there was a lot there to take in and and enjoy seeing in a way that was a step removed from normal, as I say, easier horror entertainment. But I just, I was a bit disappointed that I didn't love it uh, from the reactions I'd heard from other people and the, the way I thought the premise was primed to go somewhere really great. I don't know, maybe, maybe Gavin obviously had to just work with the resources he had and maybe would have uh, done some more if he'd had some more money or other stuff available to well, him, but maybe this is the story he wanted to say all along. And if he'd done anything, you'd have a point. <laughs> um, that's, that's me, you know, I, I liked it. I, I didn't love it, and I know a lot of people out there really love this one. Yeah, a lot of people love this movie, and I hate it. I hate it, and I disagree with them entirely, because nothing. this movie is bullshit. This movie is bullshit from the word go. It's two non-characters. Just because they give her an interesting reason for doing it doesn't mean it's saying anything. There's no, it doesn't say anything about grief. It doesn't say anything about redemption or loss. There's nothing to say about anything except to point at it and go, this is why we're doing this, and you need more than that. She's a non-character. He's a non-character. Neither one of them have any personality whatsoever. So we spend two hours with these blank slates in a house. And it's not even an interesting house. It's not like an atmospheric house. It's just a big fucking house. You need more than just a big fucking house in Wales for atmosphere. I'm sorry. And then all they talk about is the bullshit Order of the Golden Dawn twaddle. If that's like all they talk about. They say nothing interesting. They say nothing about how they're feeling, about why she's going through it, why she's doing it. She tells you the reason, but it's bullshit. <laughs> like, it's just an excuse. She doesn't act like she feels guilt. She doesn't act like she's driven by rage and anger. She wants to stop every time. Ev the end of every scene goes exactly like this. Maybe we should stop. We can't stop. Oh. Maybe we should stop. We can't stop. Oh, they don't grow closer. They don't argue or fight or anything, except one point, which is just horrific. And then the response to that is horrific. There's only two scenes that are even remotely interesting. 
and they're not even like horror scenes. It's just the guy being a prick. Then come the actual, ooh, here comes the demons and the angel bullshit. And not only is that fucking terrible, it is boring as hell. These are the least interesting demons, and that angel looks like shit. I mean, it's just the effects are atrocious. Nothing in this is worth watching. I hated every dull-ass moment of this movie, especially because it just justifies itself by giving an excuse. If it didn't earn anything, it didn't build off that, it just went... Here's my reason, and now we can't question that. Well, fuck you. I question it. This isn't somebody that's felt loss. This this isn't like looking at the extreme somebody will go. That's just an excuse because she wants to quit every step of the way. And it's like literally from the first moment they start doing it, she wants to quit. And it ends because she does quit. I fucking hated this movie. It is an exercise in nothing. I, I I don't get it. I don't get why so many folks are so precious about these English movies that do fuck all. I mean, I okay, I'm glad that they've got a, a semi-thriving independent scene. And that's awesome. But, like, how about you put some fucking effort and thought into your movies instead of just giving us a bullshit excuse and a big house? You need more than that shit. Except this is, like, we've seen eight movies that are just like this over the last couple years, and I don't get it, man. This was boring ass crap to me. I'm still laughing at hearing you say twaddle. I like that word. It's a good word. <laughs> was that you, Dave? I I could say twaddle again, but that's about all I've got <laughs> to say, man. Yeah, I'm on. Uh, I'm actually on Dave's side with this one. Uh, I love movies about the occult and seances, but nothing on screen here kept me engaged at all. I'm always down for a good slow burn, but you need to have engaging characters to make that trip worthwhile. And here, I just couldn't latch on to these characters at all, especially the guy. I mean, uh, they're both banks blank slates of just nothing, and half the time he the guy just sat there yelling at the girl, and it got fucking annoying. Uh, the movie is all them. I mean, it's totally focused on these characters, and when it fails in the character department, your movie isn't going to work. And that was the problem with this movie. It did not work. I will say this, though. I, I did like the rituals. Uh, they were actually really well done and pretty creepy. I just wish the surrounding parts around the rituals were better because it just wasn't enough to personally save it for me as a whole. Uh, it's really well shot. I mean, visually, it looks good. and. Like you guys said, I noticed a lot of people really dig this movie, which I went back and read the reviews after I watched this, and I'm like, good God, people love this movie. I, I don't get it, I mean, at all, but hey, it, it works for somebody, so that's awesome. But um, yeah, I just wasn't a fan, and uh, like I said, I'm always down for a good slow burn. You just have to have good characters to make it worthwhile, and it just it didn't have it. I was not a fan of this one at all. It's time to pick one. I mean, for for me, it's it's perfect blue, and uh, Kevin's now plotting against me. So, oh no, it's perfect blue. I'm also going to go with perfect blue. Nice. Next week, uh, we're going for some classics. We're going with some universal horrors. 
We're going to be watching Creature from the Black Lagoon, The Wolfman, Dracula, and the original Frankenstein. Uh, those should be, you know, interesting to discuss, maybe. I mean, You're we... just going to go on and on about on. how you loved seeing it projected and your projector was lovely. Uh, no, well, you, I saw a Creature in 3D earlier this month, and it was amazing. And you should see it that way if you can. I'm, I'm gonna. Nice. Sure. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Raiders of the Pod. We're on Facebook, where I remembered to do a Wednesday post this week. Awesome. Uh, we're on Instagram, Raiders underscore of underscore the underscore podcast. We have a YouTube channel where you can watch, subscribe, subscribe, like, and comment, and watch Kevin's totally awesome videos weekly and you can always email us at raiders of the podcast at gmail.com as always thanks for listening thanks for joining me guys i'll talk to you next week see ya Oh,